You know those stories we learn in grade school that rattle around in our brain for no reason? You know how, as an adult, you learn new facts about these stories and you're like, wait, why did my first grade teacher tell me that George Washington never told a lie? You know how anytime you want to learn about anything from American history, you end up down a weird rabbit hole of conspiracy theories and bitter accusations? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm an actor and a writer who hates to be proven wrong, but always seems to be. Especially on this podcast, damn it. Today, Amelia Earhart. You know her as the firebrand lady pilot who broke records and vanished during an attempt to fly around the world. Today, I'll tell you about some wild speculation from around the internet about her whereabouts and throw around my own sapphic speculation as well. Please assume the crash landing position. By now, we all know the legend of Amelia Earhart. She was one of the first women to earn a pilot's license. She set a whole bunch of flight records, including in 1922 becoming the first female pilot to reach an altitude of 14,000 feet. She then beat her own record in 1931 to set the world altitude record at more than 18,400 feet. She was the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean, a feat, by the way, that had only been accomplished once before. Then, she disappeared during a flight around the world in 1937. Earhart's success as a pilot earned her a small fortune and celebrity status. She was such a VIP that she was invited to the Roosevelt White House for dinner in 1933. Roosevelt himself was absent, but his wife, First Lady Eleanor, who had recently gotten her student pilot's license, hosted. The other couple of guests were bigwigs in the burgeoning U.S. commercial flight industry. Halfway through dinner, most likely while the men were droning on about the importance of beating the Japanese in the race to capitalize on international commercial travel, Amelia was like, hey, you want to take a ride in my plane? In my imagination, Amelia kind of whispered this to Eleanor, but George Putnam, Amelia's husband slash manager, because that's a healthy relationship, Overheard and rather than feel like a patsy whose wife ran off with the first lady, was like, Yes, yes, capital idea. Why don't we all take a ride in your airplane? I would be lying if I said I didn't indulge in fantasies of Amelia Earhart and Eleanor Roosevelt flying off to remote islands for secret weekend getaways. Somebody make that movie, please. Starring Carrie Mulligan and Olivia Coleman but also credit me and pay me a percentage for the idea. You're welcome. In the early 30s, Earhart's husband Putnam proposed the idea that Earhart fly around the world. I guess he wasn't making enough off of her lectures and endorsement deals, and she had already broken practically every other flight record, so why not go for the most dangerous one yet? Her first attempt in 1936 ended with her crashing in Hawaii. This dissuaded neither Putnam nor Earhart from trying again. On June 1st, 1937, Earhart took off from Miami, heading east over the Atlantic toward Europe with her navigator, Fred Noonan. 28 days later, with a relatively eventless 22,000 miles of the journey behind them and just 7,000 miles to go, Earhart and Noonan made a fuel stop in Leigh, New Guinea, just north of Australia. The trip to their next fuel stop on a tiny island in the mid-Pacific called Howland Island was 2,556 miles away. 
Earhart and Noonan dumped any equipment deemed unnecessary. With all that extra weight gone, if need be, they could get another 274 miles out of their fuel tank, which sounds like a lot until you think about yourself careening across the sky in a glorified tin can with only the Pacific Ocean under you for days. The U.S. Coast Guard stationed a ship at Howland Island just for the trip to help Earhart and Noonan locate the minuscule island and to refuel. Howland Island is so small, about a mile and a half long by a half a mile wide, that Earhart herself was like, guys, this island is fucking tiny, okay? I'm going to need all the help I can get to find it. So two other ships were posted along the flight path near the approach to the island with every light on to help with navigation. Earhart and Noonan took off for Howland on the morning of July 2nd. Despite the weather service reporting ideal conditions, they flew into overcast skies and rain showers. This is of note because apparently Noonan preferred to use the stars to navigate. Now, look, I'm no astronomer, but how does someone use stars to navigate in broad daylight? Even without the clouds and rain, how did he expect to find the Big Dipper, you know? But apparently maps at the time were notoriously inaccurate, and that's how this guy liked to do his job. And to be fair, any map would presumably be a a big blue square with one dot on it signaling this tiny island, which maybe is not super useful. I can barely tell my right from left, so this is utterly terrifying. By dawn of the next day, Earhart radioed in, reporting... Cloudy weather. Cloudy. She and Noonan couldn't see the tiny island, and they were running out of fuel. I don't know what running out of fuel means on a trip like this. I'm guessing it's not like when the gas light goes off in my Prius and I know I have about 100 miles before I really need to panic, you know? Like, I'm guessing they'd already burned through the extra fuel they brought and were like, uh, we better hit an ExxonMobil fucking soon. Earhart asked for location bearings from the folks on the Coast Guard ship, but never received their transmissions. At 7.42 a.m., Earhart radioed in, We must be on you, but we cannot see you. Fuel is running low. Been unable to reach you by radio. We are flying at 1,000 feet. She got no response. The folks on the ship waiting to help her refuel were, in fact, receiving her transmissions and sending back as much information as they possibly could. But because of the clouds and the fact that radio technology in 1937 might as well have been two cans and a string, she couldn't hear the responses. At this point, she must have realized that either the ship wasn't hearing her or she wasn't hearing them. Either way, she had to have known she was in serious trouble. She tried again, reporting... We are running north and south. And that was the last thing ever heard from Amelia Earhart or Fred Noonan, officially. But we'll get to that. Earhart's plane apparently went bloop right out of existence. They were flying back and forth somewhere around where they were supposed to be. I'm assuming Noonan at least had a pair of binoculars, right? It seems really surprising to me they didn't see the ships or the island as world-class pilots who had experience with this. Here's where things start to get insane, though. The U.S. government spent more than two weeks searching over 250,000 square miles of ocean and land and found 
absolutely nothing. I would imagine there would have been some kind of sea emergency equipment on board the plane, a life vest, a raft, some kind of thing that floats. Even with whatever they dumped out to make room for fuel, I'm going to go ahead and assume that life-saving equipment was not deemed unnecessary. Then again, what do I know? At any rate, none of that was found either. Earhart's husband, George Putnam, picked up the search once the U.S. government had exhausted theirs. I would imagine if I convinced my partner that driving over the Grand Canyon would be a great publicity stunt and then he disappeared doing it, I'd probably be like, oops, my bad, and put together my own search party too. You know what I mean? Putnam's team searched the nearby islands and came up with nothing. If Earhart and Noonan crashed into the ocean, there was no raft found that might have ferried them to the land. There were no plane parts found, no evidence that people had been on the islands, no evidence of Earhart and Noonan whatsoever having been anywhere near this part of the ocean. The most pervasive theory, at least according to the U.S. government, is that the plane crashed into the Pacific. And that's it. That's the end of the theory. No explanation as to why no wreckage or debris has ever been found. I hate to be a stick in the mud here, folks, but people and things don't just vanish into thin air. I mean, they shouldn't, according to any of our understanding of physics. So where the hell did Amelia Earhart, Fred Noonan, and thousands of pounds of airplane go? Now, I want to present a small caveat before we continue. The facts surrounding various pieces of possible evidence in the disappearance of Earhart and Noonan are a little confusing. That's possibly because I'm not the smartest person on the planet, and half the time I'm reading through research, I'm thinking about video games or food. But there's all kinds of minutiae surrounding the facts of this case. Longitudes and latitudes, the time of sunrise and where the sun was positioned. It's possible that being a pilot is hard and also very boring. So, if you're a diehard Amelia Earhart detective, please don't listen to the rest of this. It won't be helpful. If, on the other hand, you're nominally interested in the disappearance of an important American figure, as told by a layperson, and you don't need every fact about the angle of the Earth at the time of the disappearance and every timestamp, stick around. You're going to want to hear the rest of this. So, what happened to Amelia Earhart and her navigator, Fred Noonan? The first theory is that they had actually drifted several hundred miles off course. In 1940, during a search of Garland Island, now called Nicomaroro Island, about 400 miles southeast of Howland Island, where Earhart and Noonan were supposed to refuel, British officials found some human bones, evidence of a small campfire, and some other human-related stuff, including part of a woman's shoe and part of a man's shoe and a suitcase-like thing that once held a nautical device called a sextant, which is not as interesting as I hoped. I'm not sure what happened to all the stuff, but the bones were sent to Dr. D.W. Hoodless, a physician at a medical school in Fiji, for examination. 
Dr. Hoodless measured the bones and decided they were those of a short, stocky European man and therefore could not have belonged to Amelia Earhart. And then, you know what Hoodless did with the bones? The human bones found on a remote, mostly uninhabited island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? Can you guess? He threw them away. He threw them away. This motherfucker, sorry to any of his surviving family, but seriously, this motherfucker goes, nope, not Amelia's, and fucking tosses the bones in the trash. Because obviously 1940s science wasn't going to advance beyond Hoodless's brilliant mind and there would be no use for them. And like, even if he had been right, which, spoiler alert, he wasn't, wasn't he at least sort of interested in who the bones belonged to? Like, it's not every day you find human bones on an uninhabited island. Also, did someone fail to mention to Hoodless that Earhart was with a man when she disappeared? Like, maybe they were his bones? Or did he know that and go, yeah, but Fred Noonan wasn't short and stocky, and these bones are conclusively of a short chubby dude, so... Fortunately, Hoodless did think to save the measurements he took. I guess if the actual evidence wasn't important enough to Hoodless, his own work was... So, in 1998, Rick Gillespie and some other folks at the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, a.k.a. TIGHAR, had the measurements re-examined using more modern techniques, which I'm guessing were slightly more advanced than whatever junk 1940s science Hoodless had used. TIGHAR's findings suggested that the bones belonged to a taller-than-average woman of European descent. And in 2016, a forensic examiner compared the bone measurements to a picture of Amelia Earhart and was like, yep, looks about right. But even if that was Amelia Earhart's bones, where was everything else? Rick Gillespie of Tighar claims to have also found another part of a woman's shoe and aluminum plane parts on a search expedition of Nicomororo Island in the early 90s. He brought them forward and was like, um... This is Amelia Earhart's shoe and pieces of her plane. But apparently the shoe, even though found to be made at the right time and the same kind of shoe Earhart was wearing in one of the last photos taken of her, was deemed to have been, quote, too big to be Earhart's shoe. Never mind that feet tend to swell during flight and shoe sizes can vary. As for the plane parts Gillespie produced, no one has been able to verify that the parts came from Earhart's plane. Gillespie claimed he was crucified for claiming what he found belonged to Earhart and her plane. Crucified seems pretty hyperbolic. I'm guessing the response was more like, we can't verify that any of that came from Earhart, but Lord knows hell hath no fury like a white man mildly contradicted. Though I did find a blog called Amelia Earhart, The Truth at Last, which had the following to say about Rick Gillespie. Nobody in the history of Earhart Investigations has made so much from so little as Rick Gillespie. The assault against common sense, logic, and worst of all, the truth, which has been the hallmark of Gillespie's Earhart Nicomororo fundraising campaign. Okay, dude. Maybe just take a deep breath. Everyone's going to be okay. 
Also, from where I'm sitting, even if Gillespie was off in his conclusions, if he came back with physical evidence, a woman's shoe, parts of a plane, it feels like his determination is maybe not a full-on assault against common sense and logic. In fact, if you're saying Gillespie is wrong, you're basically saying that there was some other castaway found on one of the few pieces of land anywhere near where Earhart was last known to be. Someone who was probably a woman, who may have been wearing the same kind of shoe Earhart was wearing, but was not Earhart. Yeah, what an assault. So here's the thing. Earhart and Noonan most likely crashed into the Pacific somewhere between Howland and Nicomororo Islands. The ocean is really deep there, and up until recently, we didn't have the technology to explore to those depths. In the early 2000s, a deep-sea company did send vessels down in the area around which Earhart sent out her last radio transmissions and came up with nothing. That said, they've got a lot of ocean to cover, so most likely within the next decade or so, we'll probably find the plane at the bottom of the ocean somewhere around there. That's not necessarily strange or unexplained. To me, what's strange about this case is how the search parties managed to miss any sign of Earhart or Noonan. Unless their skeletons are found with the plane on the ocean floor, what happened to them? Side note, if I'm still doing this podcast, if and when Amelia Earhart's plane gets discovered and skeletons are found inside, you bet your ass I will do an episode all about the stocky bro slash tall lady bones found on a remote island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Guaranteed. Because if they weren't Earhart and or Noonan, who the hell were they? Also, if Earhart and Noonan did go down with the plane, why? Wouldn't they have bailed? I can't imagine they dumped their parachutes when they were trying to make more room for fuel. That would have been... stupid? It's possible, I suppose, they were both eaten by sharks, which I honestly cannot think of a worse way to die. I mean... I probably can if I apply myself. Anyway, let's say for the sake of this podcast that the bones and shoe and other detritus found on Nicomororo Island did belong to Earhart. That she crashed on or near the island and set up camp. How could it have been that she was stranded on an island 400 miles from where she intended to be and no one found her? Think about how extensive the search was. First the government and then her husband's crew. Especially if she did light a fire, of which there was evidence, how did she go unnoticed? Look, I've watched Lost five times all the way through, but that's not important right now. And I know that the first thing you do after you land on a desert island is light a fire so passing ships and planes can see you. I don't know how the people touting the theory that Earhart survived for a time on an island before eventually starving to death can account for no one having found her when two very extensive air and sea searches were conducted. Unless, of course, the quote-unquote extensive search had some holes in it. There were, in fact, about 175 reports from all over the world of people hearing distress calls over their radios between July 2nd and July 7th, 1937. Some reports were found out to be hoaxes, but some seemed to be real reports of a woman making distress calls from a small, uncharted island. These are some of the calls pulled from a report made by Tighar. 
July 2nd. Plane down on an uncharted island, small, uninhabited. The caller reported the plane was partially on land, part in water. She gave the latitude and longitude of her location. Her navigator, Fred Noonan, was seriously injured, needed help immediately. She also had some injuries, but not as serious as Mr. Noonan. July 3rd, KHAQQ calling, down in ocean. Then, on or near Little Island at a point near... Then something about directly northeast and our plane out of gas, water all around, very dark. Then something about a storm and that the wind was blowing. We'll have to get out of here. We can't stay here long. You guys, what the fuck? I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like Earhart and Noonan were sheltering in the crashed plane on a tiny island with no other place to shelter. There was a storm with winds strong enough that she was worried they would literally blow the plane away. Their only other option was to abandon the plane for some pitch-dark, tiny island. God only knows what was roaming around that island. Wild boar? The smoke monster? The man in black? Have I mentioned that I watched Lost five times through? July 5th, a woman in Florida hears Earhart calling for help and trying to deal with an irrational Fred Noonan. July 7th. Can you read me? Can you read me? This is Amelia Earhart. This is Amelia Earhart. Please come in. Earhart then gave her latitude and longitude, which the caller wrote in a book and continued, We have taken in water. My navigator is badly hurt. We are in need of medical care and must have help. We can't hold on much longer. If you need a Xanax after listening to that, you are not alone. That was... Absolutely terrifying. And excuse me, what happened to those reports? Was there any follow-up? Apparently, the U.S. government had unilaterally decided Earhart's plane crashed into the ocean and could therefore have not made any radio calls. Okay, it's certainly plausible that these people heard reports of Earhart's plane vanishing somewhere over the Pacific and just made up that they heard distress calls in the days following. Lord knows people like to insert themselves into drama, but two people claimed Noonan was injured, and one claimed he was being irrational in the background, because of course the man was being irrational. Amelia was like, SOS, we need help, and Noonan is in the background just being like, we're gonna die, we're gonna die, oh no, I should have just used a map. And no one claimed Noonan himself radioed in, so there you go. There is a lot of overlap in these reports. Those are some weirdly coincidental lies, don't you think? And, like, we have the transcripts, which means a record was made, which means these calls came in, and if anyone was looking, they would have seen a pattern in the reports. Also, an international superstar had gone missing, and the power of the U.S. government was brought to bear in finding her, and they didn't even think to just send a plane out that way and just check around the coordinates? What was that, just too hard? Rick Gillespie and the people at Tighar believe that the plane may have crashed on the shore of the island and that Earhart would have only been able to use the radio during low tide. Eventually, they believe, by July 7th or 8th, the plane had taken on too much water and sank. All the reports that people could hear Earhart sending out distress signals stopped on July 7th. 
the author of the blog that called Rick Gillespie's findings into question, belongs to a special group of people who firmly believe that Amelia Earhart was a spy for the U.S. government, or at the very least doing some reconnaissance on the side for Roosevelt, and was captured by the Japanese during this last fateful leg of her flight. According to this theory, first posited by Fred Gorner, a radio newscaster, Roosevelt asked Earhart and Noonan to fly over an island called Truk and gather info on the Japanese naval base stationed there. Once she had done that, she headed for her next fuel stop, at which point she encountered a tropical storm, got lost, and crashed on another island not mentioned in any of the other theories I read. Gorner then goes on to posit that after about 12 days on this small island, a Japanese fishing boat picked them up and basically transferred them over to the Japanese army, where they were interred in Saipan until Earhart died of dysentery and Noonan was beheaded. He doesn't provide any basis for this theory. He claims he got his facts from local witnesses whom he doesn't name. But, as we've learned time and time again, facts don't matter. Evidence doesn't matter. All you need to do is suggest that a fisherman in Saipan was sure he saw Earhart, Noonan, and the plane in a seaport in Saipan. And the next thing you know, people are screaming at each other in the comments section of some obscure blog calling each other sheep and pawns and communists. The main objections to the Amelia was a spy who was captured by the Japanese theory, other than the complete lack of actual evidence, is that Japan has come forward and apologized for a lot of shitty things they did during World War II and the time leading up to it and after. Why wouldn't they have apologized by now for detaining Amelia Earhart? If she was a spy, isn't that sort of like fair game? And if she died of dysentery, couldn't they be like, hey, it's not like we shot her. As for why they beheaded Noonan, I have zero idea. My favorite theory about what happened to Amelia Earhart is that once Japan captured her, they traded her back to the U.S. where she lived out the rest of her life under the alias Irene Bolam. In a 1970 book titled Amelia Earhart Lives, writer Joe Class elaborated on a claim by a former Air Force major named Joseph Gervais, who met Irene Bolam at a meeting of plane enthusiasts in the 1960s. Gervais became convinced that Bolam was Amelia Earhart, even though Irene was like, uh, nope. Irene held a press conference following the publication of the book to set the record straight. She called the whole thing utter nonsense and said that while the book claimed Bolin lived in the Imperial Palace in Tokyo during World War II, Irene assured everyone she was living in Mineola, Long Island during those years. Bolin spent her career as a bank teller and retired to a retirement community in New Jersey called Leisure World, which I assume is a place of bocce ball, crochet, and high rates of STDs in the age 65 and above category. About Mr. Gervais and his assertion that she was actually Amelia Earhart, Bolin said, he apparently became obsessed with the idea that I closely resembled and actually might be Amelia Earhart. In response to his subsequent letters and telephone calls, I denied in writing and over the telephone that I was Amelia Earhart. I am not sure what the benefit would be of the U.S. or Japan concealing the fact that Earhart was alive and back on American soil, but... For the sake of the argument, let's say Earhart just wanted to live a quiet life after her ordeal. 
Could you imagine being the first woman to fly across the Atlantic Ocean and the first person to break all kinds of flying records only to spend the second half of your life living as a bank teller on Long Island of all places? Like, thank you for your service to your country. Now go live on Long Island. Like, not even Florida? At least it's warm in Florida. Bolum sued the author, and the publisher pulled the book and settled out of court with her. She died in 1982, long before we understood DNA, so I suppose we may never know her true identity. Except that we do. Irene Bolum was not Amelia Earhart. And since we know that, can we just take a moment to think about what it must have been like for Irene? After years of slogging away at the bank, she retires to a nice, quiet life in New Jersey where she can relax and visit plane exhibitions or whatever because that's what she's into. And then some guy she met a decade ago proclaims to the world she's a long-gone aviation hero and won't fucking give up. Poor Irene's out here holding press conferences and sharing photos of herself at, like, backyard barbecues in 1940s Mineola just to prove she was here. And he's like, no, 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 Amelia, don't lie. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But honestly, that's not the strangest Amelia Earhart theory by any stretch. If there's one thing we've learned so far on Strange and Unexplained, it's that all unanswerable questions tend to lead to one conclusion. Aliens. Okay, you know what? I know I said the Irene Bolum theory was my favorite, but I think this one actually is. According to the folks at the website unveiledsecretsofmessagesandoflight.com, I guess every other non-ridiculous domain name had already been taken, Earhart was abducted by aliens. That's because on December 23, 1997, a medium had a conversation about it with a spirit master. No, you don't really care what a spirit master is. The actual explanation about Earhart on the website is kind of confusing, to be honest. Have you ever tried putting a paragraph into Google Translate and then translating it back and then doing that a few more times and seeing just how the text gets a little more screwy each time? No? You haven't? Oh, I suppose you have better things to do with your time? Well, fine. Point is, it's some strange stuff. Let me summarize it for you. According to the people at unveiledsecretsofmessageandoflight.com, there is an entire race of people descended from Amelia Earhart who was abducted by aliens, cryogenically frozen, and then thawed out, and now lives on another planet. Or did in 1997, anyway. Okay? Everyone on board? Awesome. I love the internet. So, there you have it. Amelia Earhart, the myth, the legend, the American hero and spy, the retired bank teller living at Leisure World Retirement Home in New Jersey, the pile of bones on a remote island in Micronesia, or the founding member of a whole new race of humans somewhere out in space. I think the most obvious explanation for what happened to Earhart is the one no one has posited yet. I think the disappearance was an elaborate ruse set up by Amelia Earhart and Eleanor Roosevelt so that they could live out the rest of their lives in peace together. In fact, what if Noonan was Eleanor Roosevelt in a Fred Noonan disguise? Until someone provides definitive proof of what happened to her, that's the version I'm going with. Noonan 
next time on Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan. What would you do if your four-year-old looked at a picture of a guy from the 1930s and said, that was me, before, and then could actually prove it? Do you believe in reincarnation? If not, you might change your mind after hearing these four stories of people who say they've lived before. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. This episode was written by me, edited by Claire Smith-Marish, and researched by Jess McKillop. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. Our episodes are mixed and edited by Jennifer Swatek. If you like our show, help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. If you don't like our show, why are you still listening? Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUPod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. <laughs>